We are back, back with Oklahoma's regular season in the books, back with Jeff Levy headed to Starkville, back with the Sooners searching for an offensive coordinator for 2024, and back with Todd Lizenby for the 26th episode of the Letterman Jacket podcast. Todd, what's going on? Uh, Not a lot. I can't think of it. Was Rob Woodson 26, maybe? I think, maybe. That's a good question. I don't know. I can tell you. I do not have... a very common number. No. Good hockey number. Martin yeah. St. Louis wore 26. Can I Walker uh-huh. wears 26 for the Sooners right now. 1926. Benny Owens last year as head coach of the Sooners, namesake of Owen Field. And speaking of offensive minds, he was one of them. We are going to talk Jeff Lebby. Sooners offensive coordinator heading to Mississippi State. We're going to talk what the Sooners do next, and then we're going to dive into what's ahead for the Sooners. Not headed to the Big 12 title game. Got a month off before a bowl game. We don't know where they're going yet. But before we do that, Todd, of course, as always, got to talk about our sponsors on the Letterman Jacket. We got Rose Hill Builders, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, uh, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and as always, our friends at Fire Lake. The Citizen Potawatomi Nation has got more than 75 positions available at one of its many businesses. Go to firelakejobs.com to find out more and join the team. All right, Todd, we're recording Monday morning. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, what we were all expecting became official. Jeff Levy, Sooners offensive coordinator each of the last two seasons, uh, is headed to Starkville, taking the top job at Mississippi State, former Sooners deputy athletic director. Uh, Zach Selman makes his first big hire and you know what it wasn't even a month ago it was less it was earlier this month that we were wondering is Jeff Levy going to be back with the Sooners next year but thinking about that more in the context of of a firing or mutual parting of ways um, this probably is the best outcome for the Sooners in terms of uh, I'm, I'm sure they're I know they're not thrilled to lose him Brent Venables um, and the staff never never lost that faith but uh, if you're an OU fan you know, he leaves on his own accord, and, and now the Sooners get to look elsewhere. Were you surprised to see Jeff Levy land a Power 5 job, uh, given the kind of the season that was in Norman? Yes and no. I mean, I, I, you, the, the reason I wasn't surprised is because his name has been connected with so many big jobs. The, the Alabama offensive coordinator job, you know, here recently, and they, uh, his name connected with it. He's very well respected within that conference. Uh, the Southeastern Conference, and in that region of the country, he's very well respected. So from that side of it, I wasn't that surprised. Um, You know, I think Jeff Levy's a really good football coach, and there were some really good moments from Oklahoma's offense this year because of his coaching. But I did think there were some spots where he wasn't great this season. So I guess, you know, I don't think he had his best year this year. And I think I was a little bit surprised – um, you know, that he he got that job after this season. But this is also a relationship that goes way back, and there's way more to it than just, you know, what play he called on fourth and three in Bedlam. And I think when all said and done, you know, most people who cover the Southeastern Conference would tell you that at some point he was going to be coaching down there as a head coach, and that's the perfect kind of entry-level SEC job, right? I mean, it's, it's really akin to uh, – Back in the day, and ironically, when we talk about who may be the next offensive coordinator for Oklahoma, back in the day, Mike Leach going to Texas Tech after one season at Oklahoma. It was the same sort of deal. Yeah, I mean, I think the big lesson here is that points on the scoreboard really matter, right? 
because take away uh, any off-field stuff with, with Jeff Levy, uh, take away how a lot of OU fans, people watched him closely this year, maybe look at the nuances and say, well, we scored a lot, but, you know, point to Kansas and point to Oklahoma State and say situationally, um, you know, we, we could have been better here or there. Uh, point is, if you look at the stats, go anywhere, points, yards, uh, yards per play, all that, Oklahoma's offense is right up there with the very best in the nation this year. They improved year to year, makes sense in a season where you go six and seven to 10 and two. Um, but, but Jeff Levy put up the numbers and that's always going to matter. And for programs like Mississippi state right now, uh, they've had weak offenses. They're, they're kind of in need of a spark, someone who can recruit all of those things. He checked those boxes. And I, I think for all that, you know, people who sit where we do and, and maybe say, well, you know, we see those the, the situational football or the inconsistency or, you know, I, I would argue maybe a lack of identity still from this offense, despite how good it was. Um, point is, in Starkville, the numbers matter. And Jeff Lebby has landed, you know, a five-year deal, his first Power 5 head coaching job on the power of, of what this offense has done. Uh, and, and you really can't argue with the numbers. Those are always going to win out. And I think that's part of the lesson here. Well, I I just I would just say this for Levy, uh, and you talk about just the numbers. You go back and look at like Lincoln Riley's last year at Oklahoma. Caleb Williams, Dylan Gabriel, maybe a wash. I mean, when you look at their numbers this year, it is almost exactly a wash. I think Caleb Williams is the player that's going to have the better pro career. He's certainly going to be drafted higher, but you know, pretty close at quarterback. Aside from that. You could argue that those offenses for Oklahoma back then were maybe better at nearly every position than this Jeff Levy team this year, especially with some of the injuries at the running back position, uh, with you know losing Andrew Anthony after he was such a threat early on this year. I think you know we we probably didn't talk enough this season about how much they miss Braden Willis and his role from Certainly. the offense from last season. So I think in some ways of uh, what Jeff Levy did this year was really impressive and I think a lot of people see that so yeah I I I do think he's deserving of an SEC job and I think for Oklahoma it's not such a huge loss not even so much for the off the field stuff but I come from it more from the side of this is the position where you can look not very far and find a very capable very reasonable person to step in and replace him yeah, and I think that's where we're going to jump next. I, I think, you know, again, you know, Jeff Levy, he recruited well. Jackson Arnold, you know, a big reason he came to Oklahoma, a big reason that at least some might speculate, although I don't have any, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. You know, does Jackson Arnold follow Jeff Levy to Mississippi State? I don't think that's going to happen, but he was central to, uh, to, to some of the recruiting success OU has had, um, particularly, you know, as of this morning, again, it's Monday, uh, OU has within 24 hours of Jeff Levy heading to Starkville, lost a, a wide receiver commit, Dozy Azukanma. Um, they still got four guys in the class. I think they'll be fine there. But he was big on recruiting. Uh, the offense, obviously, statistically spoke for itself. I, I think there were times this fall where you wondered, you know, was this the best head coaching audition from a guy that, that a lot of people thought of that way, whether it was the, you know, the, the Art Bryles deal after SMU, um, the fact that OU pulled Jeff Levy's uh, media availability. I mean, he didn't speak uh, in a non-postgame setting after week four. Uh, generally, you know, if you're a head coach or a prospective head coach, you're wanting to be out there and, and putting that on, on tape, so to speak. So in those senses, I, I think that's where, you know, you wondered, uh, was Jeff Levy doing the things that would land him that next job? 
And again, the lesson here uh, is that the thing that matters most of all, particularly, you know, a, again, a program like Mississippi State that is in, you know, a, a, has been in a valley that needs to really find ways to compete in a conference where it doesn't have the same resources as, as, as all the teams it's competing with, points, scoring, things that are going to get people excited. You saw people carrying Zach Selman on their shoulders last night at the airport. Uh, that's what's going to do it, and that's what Jeff Levy has. And and in a sense, that's also what the Sooners are losing. They're losing the guy who ran the offense that put up more points than all but two other teams in the country this year, and that's what they're going to have to replace. And I think that's where we go next because what we're talking about now, um, you know, Garen Emig, when we did our rapid reaction last night, referred to it as probably Brent Venable's biggest decision since since firing Kale Gundy. I think that's correct. Personnel-wise, in terms of the football field, I think this is probably the biggest decision um, of his tenure as a head coach, because Oklahoma is moving into the SEC now. They are more than likely moving into the Jackson Arnold era at Oklahoma. Keeping Jackson Arnold happy, successful, uh, healthy, all of that is incumbent to the success these next few years. And as a result, this offensive coordinator hire is huge. No doubt about it. And uh, I... All those things you said are true. It's it's crazy, Eli. I'm I'm gonna have a podcast coming out later this week about what a twelve team playoff might look like if we were going into championship weekend next year, which is impossible to guess because one conference is literally ceasing to exist next year. But you look at the teams right now when you include Texas and Oklahoma that are in the top sixteen that are kind of in that contention for an at-large spot in a 12-team playoff, and it's all SEC Big Ten. I mean, Oklahoma is truly going into a power conference. One of those schools, your Missouri Tigers, by the way. Indeed. Uh, nice season for your Tigers this year. And Oklahoma's at the road on the road at Missouri next year. So, you know, throw, throw that game in. You're not playing when you step down from the top teams in the league. You're not playing Kansas, and you're not playing Iowa State. You're playing Missouri. You're playing Mississippi State. You're playing Mississippi. Teams that have guys that can go out and beat you and make you look pretty silly at home, especially when you're going on the road to their place. So it is a huge hire. I think, I think though with, and I know we'll get to it, but with Seth Luttrell, who's sitting there, it just makes too much sense, right? I mean, he's, he's the guy that does the type of things that Brent Venables wants to do offensively. He's a Mike Leach guy, um, having played under Leach at Oklahoma when Brent Venables was here. So there are too many connections for, in my opinion, for that not to happen unless there's some sort of red flag I don't know about. But you're still Oklahoma, and you still have to do that national search. You can't just go, here's the gig, right? I mean, you still owe it to yourself to look and see if there's anything out there that's better. And I think they're going to do their due diligence on it, and I would be surprised if they didn't land on Seth Luttrell. I think, you know, from both, you know, as you say, it, it all makes all too much sense. And then from what I'm hearing out of Norman and around, Seth Luttrell is, is the front runner. He's the guy a lot of people expect to land in this job. And he, he does make a lot of sense. You know, he, he spent seven seasons at North Texas. Um, he's an offensive guy. He called plays at Arizona, at Indiana, at North Carolina. He's got a lot of experience here. He would be kind of the continuity pick, which I think that can come with negative con connotations. But I really think you know, more so it's it's continuity. Let's say, you know, we don't know this, but if Jackson Arnold's comfortable with Seth Luttrell, there's one tick uh, in, in the box for him. Uh, Eli, o OU's got the fourth-ranked offense in the country. Why wouldn't yeah, you, why want, would you want continuity? Well, there's OU fans who would – there are OU fans who are 
are already ready to fire the next offensive coordinator before he's been put in that position. But that's a separate issue. You're right. We're talking about, you know, the fourth best offense in terms of total yardage this season. So continuity should sound pretty good. And, and perhaps, uh, and I'm going to write some about this later today, but, you know, really it's how do we maintain that if you're an OU fan and then fixing the little things, whether it's time of possession or the situational football, the consistency, that's what you would want the next guy to, to sort out. But on the whole, yeah, continuity and keeping things as is uh, in terms of the numbers, that should be part of this. That's where Seth Luttrell comes in. I, I, I really think um, that's, that's, it makes sense. Um, he would represent uh, a familiar face. And it, it also helps settle some things on the staff. Uh, if we're, we don't know yet what movement m- might look like in terms of who might leave with Jeff Levy. Uh, Joe, Joe John Finley, the tight ends coach, is a name that's come up. Let's say that happens, hypothetically. What that could allow you to do, Matt Wells, former Texas Tech coach, another guy who could maybe land in the play calling um, discussion here, he could move to quarterbacks coach. You, you give him a position. He's been an analyst for two seasons. Seth Luttrell, who has a background coaching tight ends, that becomes his positional designation, and things are settled really easily. That that could be the pathway here for OU. Again, that that's a hypothetical there, but I, I think I'd be surprised if nobody from the staff, not maybe not the staff of assistants, but certainly within that staff, heads to Starkville with Jeff Levy. And if that happens, that will open up, you know, spots for other folks. Can I can I also throw this out there as well? One of the things that I also think makes Latrell even more of a no-brainer is the transfer portal. I mean, mm. we've already DJ Graham's already in the transfer portal you would want to get this situation sorted because guys are going to start going into the portal very soon, opting out, going into the portal. And these are guys that Oklahoma, even though I don't know if technically they're allowed to talk to them, we all know how that works. And you don't want them to be checked off the list. You don't want to be checked off the list because you don't have a position coach or because they don't know what you're doing at offensive coordinator. Certainly, that's going to matter more places than others. But I'll tell you this, you know, perfect example, Andrew Anthony last year, uh, the, the breakout star of the early part of the season, Jeff Levy in this offense was a big reason why he left. He loved Michigan. We've talked about this plenty. Loved Michigan, loved being there, loved the program. The offense, which we saw on Saturday against Ohio State, you know, 13 play, six-minute drives, running the football, didn't fit the speedy, rangy, deep threat Andrew Anthony. So where did he go? He found an offense, Jeff Levy's offense, and he had familiarity with Jeff uh, from his own recruitment to go to a place where, where they would make the most of that. I, I think a Seth Luttrell offense would work well for guys like uh, Andrew Anthony as well. But point is, coaches and coordinators being in place matter when it comes to the transfer portal. And it, it is still early, but it's never, you know, it's, it's already too late to start, right? You know, the portal window's open, which means that, yeah, you're right. Guys are getting contacted and all that legally otherwise. And so Oklahoma having somebody in place sooner rather than later is is important here and again that's another you know pro in in the uh in the Seth Latrell column um you know if they were to look outside I think there's some exciting names um there's some home run names our friend Garen Emig throughout Dana Holgerson I think that would be that's the uh bizarro world hire that would be a whole lot of fun I'm not I'm not putting a, a value judgment on how possible that could be but that would be the bizarre world hires is Dana Holgerson on the Sooner staff. If I would have known we were, if I would have known we were talking Holgerson, I would have brought a Red Bull uh, to this <laughs> edition of the Letterman jacket. 
Uh, do you? I'll just throw one more thing out there real quickly. Seth Luttrell, formerly head coach, North Texas. Do you know what movie was filmed at the University of North Texas? I do not. Fill Necessary me in. Roughness. Are you familiar with Necessary Roughness? I am. Yeah, that was filmed at the old University of North Texas Stadium, the uh, Texas State Armadillos with Sinbad on the defensive line, Kathy Ireland at kicker, and Scott Bakula at quarterback. Uh, wow. They played their games. Yeah, they played their games on the old turf at the old uh, North Texas Stadium, which now has been torn down. The new one's across the street. It's the one you see if you're ever driving down 35. You kind of almost drive through it. Yeah, also totally – and it's always been right at that. The other one was just right across the mm-hmm. highway on the other side. I think there's like a, a new event center there. But totally random that I know this, but North Texas's stadium is Texas Tech, East Carolina University Credit Union. It's the TTECU Credit Union University. Texas Tech, East Carolina University. That makes my brain hurt. Almost I know, right? The Texas Teachers and Educators communi- uh, Credit Union, I think. Texas Teachers and Educators Credit Union. I think oh. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. How about that? Yeah. I, I mean, just just, I got I, all the random knowledge. This is why I I'm here. I just know when I see that stadium and see that campus that I'm not far from Bucky's on my way through Texas. That's usually yep. my signal. Um, well, I, I think, you know, we'll have it updated at silloutcrowd.com. We'll have you updated here on the jacket. But I, I think... You know, as things stand, as a Monday, I'd expect that, you know, Brent Venables probably makes a few phone calls, but that Seth Luttrell is, is certainly the front runner as of right now for this job. That's, uh, as we said, a huge decision for Brent Venables, a big decision for the Sooners' future as they're kind of on the precipice of a new era going to the SEC, a new era at quarterback. It's all big, big decisions to make. We'll have it covered at Sellout Crowd, but Todd, a big reason why Jeff Levy was able to make the move he did this weekend. It probably would have waited another week or maybe would have landed differently. It would have been if the Sooners were in the Big 12 title game. Um, that was a big part of this. You know, in terms of how it developed for Jeff Levy, uh, Friday morning heading into that TCU game, the the smoke was was getting, you know, pretty substantial about you know the interest from from Mississippi State. Stayed that way. Uh, Jeff Levy got asked about it. Uh, following the game against TCU. And then Saturday, it was still bubbling. And once Oklahoma State secured its spot in the title game and OU was officially eliminated from from landing in Arlington, that's when it really started. And so that pushed that one down the road. And fact is, the Sooners are going to be off. Uh, They will not be in Arlington. It's going to be Texas, Oklahoma State, as we know. Uh, And the Sooners will not get their shot at that one last Big 12 title. Still got the most all-time, 11, but number 12, getting one before uh, before leaving the conference. It's off the table. I, I think that's a, and this is a separate conversation, you know, maybe a minor disappointment for the Sooners who made this a goal of theirs, but, um, you know, how disappointed one should be with 10 and 2 is its own thing. Uh, but fact is, nothing, the, the results didn't go right for the Sooners to get to Arlington and they'll be watching from home this weekend. I, I would just think if I had a discussion with an Oklahoma fan right now and I said, are you disappointed that Oklahoma finished 10 and two? And they gave me a legit yes. I would say, well, then you and I don't see eye to eye on what yeah. is and isn't a disappointment, right? I mean, that's, we just have a different frame of reference. Uh, I think based on last year, six and seven, 10 and two can't be a disappointment. Um, would you like to be playing in the Big 12 championship game? Of course. And I think, it, let's be honest, it hurts Oklahoma fans even more that it's Oklahoma State 
in the last year of Bedlam, and it hurts Oklahoma fans that it's Texas, right? I mean, it's not it's not a fun Big 12 championship game. Watch for them this coming Saturday, I would imagine. But all in all, I think it was a good season. And, um, you know, I think we saw, especially at the end, kind of with an exclamation point, that the defense is not there yet for Oklahoma. And I, I don't want to say that, you know, it's OU Texas, anything could happen, even when it's not at the state fair. I'm not saying OU would have lost the game on Saturday, but I think the way I saw Texas play against Texas Tech and the way I've seen Oklahoma's defense play, uh, you know, the last month or so, I, I think it might be a blessing in disguise that they're not in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, I think, you know, is it possibly a good thing for Oklahoma to avoid this game? I, I think, and I'm going to ask you a question that really gets into this in a second, but if you want to, if you're an OU fan rooting for like the New Year's Six, Oklahoma benefits from being off this weekend. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Uh, sure, if, if they got into that game and won it, they would move up, um, perhaps even jump Texas, uh, and, and then they are firmly in that place. But right now, they're on the fringe of, of, uh, of the New Year's Six. They, they need some results to go their way this weekend. But point being, uh, a loss, potentially a, a bad one to Texas, that would not get you'd be You could book your tickets to the Alamo Bowl then. Uh, and I, I think you know the way we've seen Oklahoma's defense slip up a little bit of late. I mean, the the plays that, that BYU, an offense that I guess didn't struggle in Stillwater, but that certainly didn't struggle against the Sooners, and an offense uh, of, of TCU that tore through the Sooners. Thank God for Jeff Levy, right, if you're an OU fan, because uh, those 69 points were substantial. They were also critical in a game where the Sooners were getting gashed uh, left and right. That defense, as we've seen it of late, going up against this Texas team. I don't know how that goes for OU, so perhaps it is fortunate not to be headed to Arlington this weekend. My question for you, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're sitting on your couch, 11 a.m. Saturday morning, tuning into this game, a lot of weird cross crisscross allegiances. Who, who, should, who should OU fans be rooting for, Todd? I, I'm not going to say who they should be rooting for. And I also want to make very clear, if you're an Oklahoma fan, obviously you'd rather be playing in this game than not. I'm just saying I don't mm-hmm. think the game would have gone well for them. But I'll just say this. I think who they're – I'm not going to say they should root for, but I think who they will be rooting for, most of them anyway, is Texas. And the reason why is twofold. I think there's a fresh wound from Oklahoma State that there isn't from Texas because Oklahoma beat Texas this year. So that's one of them. And and there's been a lot of chirping, rightfully so, from Oklahoma State fans about how, this, how the years played out. And I think it just got magnified on Saturday with the way Oklahoma State beat BYU with the Oklahoma fans having hope for four hours, right, that they're going to get into the championship game. So that's one reason why. But I also think – I'm not saying that Oklahoma and Texas are ever going to be – brethren but I think the fact that they're making this move together the fan bases have dealt with some of the same sort of things and so I think they're a little bit more united than before and one of the things that OU and Texas fans are united in right now is embarrassing Brett Yormark I was gonna say I think Oklahoma fans feel like that's the best revenge they can get uh is if Texas wins and Brett Yormark is embarrassed I've never seen OU fans more excited about something that happened at a Texas game then when they they put Brett Yormark on the big screen and played him talking about Texas Tech and hoping they win down in Austin 
and then said, see you in the Big 12 championship game, right? So I think the anti-Brett Yormark is what they're going to be rooting for, probably more so than anything. I think that is correct. And I think the moment, we're going to get it all across college football this weekend, potentially awkward moments in a in a world where we're still not still playing football, but playing football in a world of conference realignment. Decent chance you see Brett Yormark giving Texas a trophy, which I think OU fans will enjoy. Uh, it'll probably be the first time OU fans celebrate Texas winning something. Uh, I, I think people will relish that. Michigan, you've got pretty good chance of Tony Petiti having to hand Jim Harbaugh a trophy. Like, think about that three weeks ago. Um, yep. can, I, can I ask a serious question that I don't know yeah. the answer to? And I know you're you're about to get to the Pac-12, but have have has George Klievkoff been to a game this year? I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I don't know that he's been out of his house since the well, Pac-12 crumble. Last we heard of his whereabouts, he was remember he was in Montana, like at his vacation home during that yeah. uh, that court of uh, the whole deal, the fighting over the money in the Pac-12. Uh, I forget the exact context, but uh, it was about how he was working tirelessly on it, and the judge asked. <laughs> So where is he? <laughs> well, he's at his vacation home in Montana. Oh, all right, great. Couldn't make it. Um, that reminds but me, sh- during COVID, the mayor of Austin told people to stay at home from his vacation house in Cabo. Incredible. Which was I mean, a, what, amazing. How far off is that from Ted Cruz going? Was it, wasn't he headed to Cabo? I think he uh, was, yeah. During the he ice storm? Cancun, I think. That was Cancun. That's exactly right. Um, has that vibe. But out west, one of the two schools that really put the dagger into uh, the Pac-12, Washington and Oregon, they're they're on their way out. One of them will be lifting yep. a trophy. So that's the fun we get in a world where the politics and the money and all that uh, infiltrate and are going. They're uprooting the sport as we speak. We've we've hit on that plenty. They're going to produce moments like we're going to see this weekend. I'm excited though. It's going to be a fun weekend. And again, I'll, I'm keep teasing this, but I'll talk about this later in the week. I. I don't think people realize just how crazy this weekend will be in the world of a 12-team playoff with, you know, the teams like Iowa that could be a bid stealer, you know, and how there's going to be fan bases rooting for Iowa to win and ruin it for somebody else or, you know, praying that Michigan does beat Iowa and it might be a close game late so you don't get your last bid stolen. I think that stuff is going to be more fun than ever next year with the 12-team playoff. Indeed. And I don't, I, as you know, I spend time in Stillwater, so I don't uh, take gratuitous shots at, at OSU uh, gladly. But you think more folks show up to the Big 12 title game than we're, we're at Boone Pickens Stadium on Saturday uh, to see the Cowboys? I know it was rainy. I know it was uh, crappy weather, but those shots of the stands were um, stood out for a game where a team was playing for a shot to go to, to a title game. It was very disappointing. Now, I will say people that were there said it was loud, and that goes a longer way than having a full stadium. And you could hear it. You could hear it. And yeah, it look, you it, could. You I could, don't blame it, most anybody. People should have left that OU. I know people <laughs> who left the OU game early to beat traffic. Like I don't blame people in these instances. But, again, you those shots of the stands were rough. Yeah, I mean, coming right out of halftime, it, I, I, was, I was disappointed. I think there were some Oklahoma State fans that were disappointed, too. And and I'm not to take shots at their fan base or anything. I wouldn't want to stand out there, but I think I would have known before the game that that was a possibility and gotten rid of my ticket or come prepared uh, for a chance to see my team play in the Big 12 title game. And I'm sure a lot of those fans left because of how the first half went. Went, and I think in this day and age of college football, you know that's pretty weak. Hell, Eli, in 21, 
I was sitting in front of a guy, a couple of guys and their girlfriends or significant others that they left early third quarter OU Texas and missed the entire comeback at the state fair. And those tickets were two fifty three hundred a pop. I just don't understand how people do that. Uh, you go all that way to watch what might be a great sports moment. And then when there's a chance for it, you give up on it at halftime. Oh, man, there's a whole there's a whole Todd pod to be done on near misses. I I know of a good family friend who left uh, game six of the 1986 World Series early. Uh, Mets fan before Bill Buckner. Uh, he <laughs> waited like 20 years into his marriage to let his wife know. Dead serious. She was not thrilled. This is, this is a different uh, reason because I was working at the sports animal back then and I was getting back to Al Eshback was going on post game and I had to set up his equipment. But I left before the touchdown and the onside kick in Oregon. Oh, man. Yeah, I had to get back to the hotel to get the equipment set up and just heard them both on a radio in a yellow school bus riding back to the uh, to the downtown area of Eugene. Jeez. See, folks, that's why you don't leave early. Because you might miss something special. You might miss what was a nerve-wracking finish in Stillwater. Probably more nerve I don't know who, who was more on edge, OU fans whose Big 12 title hopes were on the line or, or OSU who actually had the control over it. Um, it was it was like a white knuckler all afternoon. I would say OSU was more on edge because they had more to lose for OU yeah. fans. A lot of them are going, yeah, well, I expected that anyway, when they were all very upset when it happened. Well, I'm sure. I was going to say, I, I, I think it went from, you know, OSU's a 17-point favorite, this you know, BYU, whatever, and then they saw that halftime scoreline, a lot of people got excited. Yep. And saw the you know it, it took a lot of work for osu to get i mean obviously it took him to the closing minutes left too much time on the clock we got overtime um ollie gordon just an extra point too i mean come on you, you missed i watched that point. man I, I was sitting there I, I was you know working preparing kind of for either scenario and you see them score the touchdown you say all right they're gonna go up four should be pretty good that extra point i said surely that won't hurt them right Few, of course, you know, fast forward a couple minutes, the guy drills that field goal, and uh, OT was something. Um, but Cowboys, hey, shout out to Trey Rucker, right? That that strip there at the end, one final parting shot from Big Twelve refs for the uh, to, to to shaft the Sooners. No, it was the right call. <laughs> Don't you think it was the right, was the right call? call? It was absolutely yeah. the right call. Yeah. I, I know. I mean, there, there, you have your funny who think otherwise. You have your conspiracy theorists, and I got to tell you, right now, Eli, I'm in a big JFK phase. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm uh, with the 60th anniversary hitting last week. I've always been fascinated with, but Rob Reiner's got a new podcast out mm. that I'm fascinated by right now. I can't stop listening to old podcasts again. So, with that said, you're seeing some of the same, you know, JFK conspiracy theory type of stuff from OU fans and other fans about. Big 12 officiating and how Oklahoma State was helped at the end of that game. Uh, mm. It was I just took it for what it was, which was just a, a weird game. It was weird. It was crazy. And I wrote this in the rapid reaction on Saturday. It's kind of Oklahoma State season in a nutshell. You you leave that game and you go, how the hell did they just win that game? But I think if you look at this season, you go, how the hell are they in the Big 12 title game? Uh, it's really been just one of the weirder but more bizarre seasons I've ever seen up in Stillwater. To quote Garen Emig, which doctory? That's what it's been yep. for Mike Gundy yep. and the Cowboys. 
diving in just to, like sooners over the next month. We'll close out here. We'll get Liz in, Liz out, and we'll we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, players are off this week with no game, if no football related activities. They'll learn the bowl destination on Sunday. Players will get back for bowl practices starting that next week. Uh, coaches now, I mean, for one, they're going to hit the road recruiting. Now the Sooners and Brent Venables also have a, a staffing personnel, you know, deal. They're going to see uh, not only who they've got to replace as a offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, but let's say the staff, uh, if there's other departures related to, to Jeff Lebby's exit, uh, they're going to have some work to do there. Um, but really, you know, the, this next month is going to be about three or four things. It's going to be about the offensive coordinator hire and other staff moves. It's going to be about closing out a recruiting class that right now, I believe, ranks seventh in the 247 uh, composite rankings. As we mentioned, you know, they lost uh, a three-star wide receiver earlier today. Uh, it's going to be about preparing for this bowl game and whatever it means, you know, is that is it going to be Jackson Arnold's first start? Is it going to be Dylan Gabriel's last hurrah or Dylan Gabriel's, you know, bowl game before he announces he's coming back? Who knows? Uh, and then it is uh, about the opt-ins, the opt-outs, who's leaving. And, uh, you know, we've not a lot of definitive talk about that post-TCU. You know, Woody Washington, Billy Bowman both spoke um, and basically just said, you know, haven't gotten there yet. Dylan Gabriel, kind of the same. Although, again, my expect- expectation still leans on on the pros there for him. But uh, he's going to have plenty of opportunities or options and and staying in college football. And this extends to everybody. You know, if you're a, a junior contemplating whether it's time to go or you're Dylan Gabriel who could come back for another season, play anywhere, uh, NIL money. And NIL changes the, the equation uh, for guys who are, you know, debating, do I go be uh, around four through seven pick, go undrafted, or spend another year in college football and, and perhaps make just as much money? Those are going to be some of the discussions and, and some of the guys we're watching over this next month. Yeah, I'm... It's changed a lot, right? What uh, and again, I'm just teasing stuff I'm doing all week on the Letterman jacket. But ranking something silly this week, I'm going to do the best holiday sports traditions. And you know, New Year's Day bowl games used to be a holiday sports tradition because you would see the best of the best play each other on New Year's Day. And the bowl season has changed a ton because of the transfer portal. Because of the originally, it was because of the red shirt rule where guys could play four games and still red shirt, and you saw a lot of new faces. And then that made the opt-outs and the portal more manageable when guys left because you could bring in those red shirt guys to fill in for a bowl game. And it's just changed a lot. It's this time in between now, instead of the you know build-up for everyone to go play in their bowl game, is now the build-up for the college football playoff and everyone else. It's more about prepping for next year. Even Even – the BCS bowl games, you know, the the New Year's Six, I guess they're called bowl games, is more about prepping for the next year, except for those rare occurrences where, like Florida State last year, for example, where it is one of those stepping stones for the program. Yeah, um, that was some- that was the platform to this season. We were saying it last year before that that Cheez-It Bowl that this was a team that we knew was going to come back and be a preseason top ten, and all that came true, right? So the, yeah. there can be a stepping stone here. You're exactly right. But that, that was the case. And, and here we are 11-ish months later from that game. And bar, you know, the Jordan Travis injury, Florida State's still there. They still very well could, could land in the playoff. That was that platform game for them. I just don't know that for Oklahoma, there's 
you know, a ton of juice in this game for the fan base. Um, because I think they expected to win the conference. And I think, you know, it's, it's also going to have less juice in it because I think a lot of them right now were more looking forward to next season in the SEC than they are enjoying the experience of this season. I think, you know, this was kind of that goodbye year. It almost feels like a lame duck bowl game in between mm. the Big 12 and SEC experience. Well, some of that will depend on where they go. If we're talking Alamo sure. Bowl against, you know, a, a group of five or Arizona, probably so. If we're talking Cotton Bowl with Alabama, team they'll see next year, we're having different conversations. But the uh, to me, it's as, as much about who they're playing and where, but is it going to be the bowl game where we turn things over to Jackson Arnold. Like if, if that's what this is, it doesn't need to be a win. It doesn't need to, but that's where the interest will be. Uh, whereas if it's, you know, if, if Dylan Gabriel's under center, um, you know, depending on how this next month goes, they're, they're, those will be the factors, but it's, it's sort of that call between, is it a game where you're going to measure this 2023 season by, which even if it is a, a new Year's six game against Alabama, let's say, or another, you know, big opponent, you don't know. You probably shouldn't measure the whole season on that based on what could change this next yep. month. Or is it a developmental deal? And I think that's more of where it'll probably end up and, you know, probably benefits the Sooners. You know, even even if, uh, you know, we go to a bowl game, Jackson Arnold starts and Alabama just, you know, throttles him. There's benefit there in terms of what this month could mean for for Jackson Arnold and a lot of young guys. You know, we saw, you know, the freshmen who've rotated in at cornerback. We've seen... Sammy Omasigo get in. There are guys, freshmen, who have really contributed this year or and will be contributors beginning next year for whom this next month, all these bowl practices, potentially this game could be really important. I would just say, I mean, you said the next month, and to me that's the most important thing, is you get an extra month, whether it's with the first team all the time or with the first team some of the time. Jackson Arnold's going to get more reps in this next month, and he's probably gotten – in the la- in the back half of the season, you know, especially when they thought they might redshirt him. Yep. Um, so I, I think that's the big thing out of this for Oklahoma. I think that's what's ahead. We will have it all at the jacket. We are going to close out with Liz in or Liz out. Todd, I mentioned it. We talked about him briefly, but when I asked Garen last night for his home run pie in the sky hire for this offensive coordinator opening, I had thrown out Scott Frost, Cliff Kingsbury. He went the newly... Uh, available Dana Holgerson. Let's say we got to that world where it was a possibility. Would you be Liz in or Liz out on Dana Holgerson as the offensive coordinator at the University of Oklahoma? I'm 100% Liz in. The Dana Holgerson experience would be nothing if not fun. Um, and, And this is from a neutral's perspective. It may be fun because it's a total disaster. It may be fun because they score 70 points a game. But Holgerson has always been interesting to me. He's when he takes the hat off and the hair goes straight up, you know, and just when he he can't even hardly talk without clearing his throat, it's it's like he just smoked a pack of Marlboro Reds and had about three Red Bulls, and I love it. Uh, I can't get enough of it. I would enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm in on the experience. We talked about this game this weekend and, and our feelings about, you know, had Oklahoma gotten to the title game with Texas, how would it have gone? As things stand, the Longhorns are 11.5-point favorites over Oklahoma State. I, I'm not saying the number would have been that if, if Oklahoma were in this game, but let's say it was. If it was 11.5, Liz in or Liz out on the Sooners covering that against Texas, were they playing this weekend? I think they would cover that. My guess is the number would probably be somewhere about 4 or 5, maybe 6 Texas. That's what I would think. Would maybe be a my touchdown. Guess, so 
Yeah, I would definitely take Oklahoma plus the 11 and a half. What, what I would probably like more than anything right now, the way both teams are playing, is the over. Um, yeah, that's for sure. I would imagine that number would be inflated as well after OU just played in the game with, let me do the quick math, what, 114 points? Good math, yeah. TCU. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, would, I would say Oklahoma would cover the 11 and a half, yes. I, and I think Oklahoma would only be able to win that game right now, just based on what I've seen from the defense in a shootout. Yeah, which um, you know so yeah. maybe that that would have been the game they would have been equipped to play the way they've been well, scoring and, lately. And also, I, the number would have changed a lot if Jeff Levy would have left before the game, which I don't think yeah. he would have had Oklahoma made it to the uh, Big Twelve championship game. I don't know the answer to that because schools also don't wait. Uh, I don't know what would have gone down there, or perhaps it would have been one of those ships passing and. And Mississippi State would have had to go another direction, but things obviously worked out. Uh, as kind of things were developing with Jeff Levy, the, the Mark Stoops era at Texas A&M came and went, uh, and they've landed on uh, former A&M defensive coordinator, Duke head coach, Mike Elko. You Liz in or Liz out on where the Aggies have landed here in their search? I mean, I... I... I don't understand why Mike Elko is so much better than Mark Stoops for that job, other than the fact that Mike Elko coached at A&M before, right? I mean, that to me screams of fan base of donors saying we want an A&M guy and them going and getting an A&M guy. So I don't think Mike Elko is a bad coach. And I just on the surface with the resources he's going to have compared to what he had at Duke, you would think he'd do a pretty good job there. Um, but I don't understand why the Mark Stoops thing wasn't enough for some people. I think he's a really good football coach, and I think Kentucky's a lot like Duke. Uh, it's a basketball school, and Mark Stoops went there and won, and Mark Stoops did it in the toughest country in America, in the toughest conference in the country uh, in the SEC. So, you know, I think Elko's probably a step down just on my personal list, but I do think he'll do a good job there. Um, yeah, so I it's just – it's funny to me the way it all went down, and it was so Texas A&M. Indeed, which is fun for the rest of us to watch. Uh, whether it is in two months or two years, uh, or, or two decades, Jim Harbaugh will not be coaching Michigan forever. Uh, did the Wolverines have their next head coach already on staff in Sharon Moore? Liz in, Liz out there? It depends on how long it is. Right. I mean, you can't be a coach in waiting for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but I I think if let's say that Harbaugh comes back, they go win a national championship. I think forever Moore is going to be the number one guy within that fan base and amongst the donors because of what he will have accomplished. And it's so ironic. I know. You know, we have kind of a group message going on, and Brett Dawson brought this up. Steve Fisher did this with Michigan's basketball team back in the day. He he came in in 1988 in the NCAA tournament uh, as the interim coach and won the national championship. His first six games as a head coach were in the tournament. He was 6-0 and and had a national championship. Um, so, you know, I it's crazy that it's the same school. I don't know that he will be the next head coach, but he will forever – be in the hearts of the fans and the donors. If he, and that goes a long way to becoming the next head coach uh, if Michigan goes on to win a national championship. Well, and I guess really it's about what's going to go down, not in the next month in a national title hunt, but what's going to go down in the next six months to a year with yeah. the NCAA investigation and how high that goes and all that. 
By the way, that 1988 Michigan team beat Seton Hall in the championship game, coached by Ramil Robinson, two free throws at the end of the game, referees deciding the outcome. Can't believe that. Uh, but that Seton Hall team coached by P.J. Carlissimo, who later mm. went on to be choked by Latrell Sprewell and Carlissimo, also first head coach of the Thunder. The two things he's best known for, right? I six would argue. Degrees, six degrees to Oklahoma City Thunder is what I just did right there. <laughs> Six degrees to Sam Presti. <laughs> now, uh, this weekend, Bo Nix and Michael Penix will square off in that uh, title game, the Pac-12 in Vegas. Some will view it as a Heisman showdown. Winner wins the Heisman. I'm a, I'm a Heisman voter, so I'm not going to share any of my thoughts. Ooh, uh, on those you two. Heisman voter guy. Oh, sorry, let me, let me pick that up. Yeah, Drop it right there. Um, I've got opinions uh, that extend beyond those two in terms of the candidates, but now, I'm not going to ask you, is it a Heisman you know, decider, but should it be? Should one game for a season-long award between two players who play on teams that have a lot more than one guy on them uh, determine the Heisman? Should it be? No. Is it? Yes. And it's because of the world we live in, the social media, what happened last is the most important world that we live in. I, Eli, I was reminded this weekend, it feels like five years ago since Aaron Rodgers hurt his Achilles with the Jets, right? That was that was what two and a half months ago that that happened. So much has happened since then. The Jets are now a laughing stock, and they were the team du jour at the beginning of the year. Same Hard with Colorado. Really fun. Hard knocks is and yeah, Hard knocks and Colorado September were really fun. They feel very yeah. Hard, far away. Yeah. So you know it will be. Uh, people will forget the first matchup between the two. The second matchup is going to matter more. More is going to be on the line. I get that. I just think it's fun that we have one quarterback who the other quarterback shares every single letter from his last name in the exact same order with just a P and an E in front of it. How about that? Huh? <laughs> you don't see that very often. That's analysis. You're not getting anywhere else with the Letterman jacket. Yeah. I hadn't thought about yeah. that. Uh, my last one for That's you. That's like Eli up... Letterman and Eli Paletterman. That's exactly what it is. See what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> My last one for you, because we were wearing tinfoil caps before. You've been listening to JFK pods. We are talking about the Sooners and, and the rampant Big 12 conspiracy. Liz in or Liz out, did Aaron Rodgers actually tear his Achilles? Because if he was going to be coming back as fast as he is, would it be a secret? Or would this breakthrough surgery and treatment be the biggest thing since sliced bread? Well, I... I got to be careful with this one. I don't want to make any uh, jokes about, uh, you know, COVID or anything, but he didn't get the jab. Eli. No, I'm kidding. I would say, I would say I'm Liz, I'm Liz in on, he actually tore his Achilles. Uh, say what you want about Aaron Rodgers. The guy takes really good care of his body. And he, he has some crazy thoughts about how the world works and astronomy and, you know, what recreational drugs can tell you about your future or whatever he does with ayahuasca i don't even know but the guy takes good care of his body he always has you don't play to the age that he is without taking good care of your body so some guys are freaks like that I'm, i mean some guys just come back quickly from injuries i do worry though that if he does try to come back especially if he comes back this season which would be dumb that he's going to re-injure it um so you know i think he tore it i think just nowadays guys heal quicker it's it's evolution, baby, as Eddie Vedder once said. 
Uh, you know what else Aaron Rodgers has? A tenuous relationship with the truth most of the time. So um, I don't know. I mean, you really don't put on the tinfoil cap. I think, you know, how we, we saw something move or pop in, in that ankle. I don't know. Maybe it's prosthetic. Maybe that was part of the whole thing. He didn't want to play this year for the Jets. So he had that put in. He made it look like it. Then he's throwing, uh, you know, a couple weeks later. Maybe he makes the comeback. I mean, he's got to prove modern medicine wrong. So there's this has got to be a big operation. Uh, I know. So that, I, think it, I think it popped. You know why, Eli? Because it went back into the left, back into the left. That's a JFK joke that you probably didn't pick no, up on, but I landed, landed. Okay. And on All that right. note, <laughs> we're going to close out this early week edition of the Letterman Jacket. Uh, As always, you can find us Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can also find all of our stuff at selloutcrowd.com. I will be all over the Sooners offensive coordinator hunt, everything else going on around OU uh, this week. Todd, you've laid out, you, you've used the Letterman Jacket as your platform to to hype up your own work this week, as you should, as as is your reward for, for coming on here and being so generous with your time. What else are you doing uh, this week at selloutcrowd.com? Well, I've got my weekly newsletter, which you can go subscribe to. Uh, my newsletter last week made Eli cry. That's a uh, that's a true story. True. That's a true story. So, uh, if you want to check out my newsletter, you can. I've got ranking something silly. Uh, we've got another episode of Packs and Facts that went up last week as well with John Ham, who's just. And in fact, I might actually try to do six degrees to Sam Presti with John Ham. He might be able to pull that off. Uh, but you can find all that at toddlisenby.com and at selloutcrowd.com as well. And like Eli said, you can also go subscribe to all of uh, all the places you listen to podcasts to the Todd Pod. Big thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, yes. Martin, creative director, Michael Lane. We'll be back with another episode at Letterman Jacket later this week.